I know I've moved up north, but it's in half cold, isn't it? Um, I almost forgot last week, but um, when you come in, you may have received some sermon notes, which you can do what you like with. You can make paper aeroplanes with them later on if you want, not during the service, but, um, and you can throw them around. But if you want them, you can use them, um, and there are gaps in them which should appear up there. We hope it's going to work this week. It was working earlier, wasn't it, Andrew? There is, that's right. There is only one slide, but it's not coming up, is it? Oh, yes, it is. Well, we've already got the first word there already. Now, one of the things I really enjoy are whodunits. And I particularly enjoy uh, reading um, Agatha Christie, uh, Poirot and Miss Marple, and I enjoy seeing the adaptations on the telly. And I, as I read them and as I'm watching them, I, I try to work out who the murderer is through the clues and the things and never get it right, but you know, it's always the person you least expect. And one of the best ones, of course, well, for me anyway, is, if you know it, the murder, murder of Roger Ackroyd. Um, such a, uh, an unexpected ending, which I hadn't got the murderer right in that case. It just was a real shock. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you in case you ever want to go and read it, because uh, it is a really good read, and I, I um, challenge anyone to work out who the murderer is in that case. But the, the one, um, one of the things, uh, once you've read them and you know them and perhaps you've seen them on telly, is they've become quite boring really, once you know who's done it. And uh, Murder, on the, Murder, Murder on the Orient Express is one of those uh, stories. Where there's been so many adaptations of it that I know who did it, I know why they did it, I know how they did it and all of that. And, and now you see there's been a new one out recently on the Murder on the Orient Express and I didn't think much of it because perhaps because I just knew the story inside out. Anyhow, the reason I I say that is because as Christians, or or as people who many of us here probably know the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we we can easily forget, because we do know the end of the story, we know what happened, we can forget what the early disciples were thinking on the Friday and the Saturday and even the Sunday morning when they were bewildered, confused, as the two men on, or the two people on the way to Emmaus say that they expected, or they were thinking he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, that he was going to come back and restore Israel to its former glories under King David. That's what they were expecting, and suddenly it's all gone wrong, and they weren't expecting it. And they don't know at this point the end of the story. And then as we hear here, that there's these rumours going around that, you know, women have seen that, well, the tomb's empty and some are saying Jesus is alive and it's confusing. And, and they're confused even though Jesus, when he was alive, had predicted his death and resurrect, re- resurrection. In Luke 18, verse 33, uh, Jesus speaking here says, they will flog him with a whip and kill him, but on the third day he will rise again. That's what Jesus has said, but Somehow they haven't quite got it. And the disciples still weren't expecting it. And so even when these reports come back, they don't seem to remember what Jesus has said and they don't understand. And we see in this story of the people on the way to Emmaus and later on from verse 36 where Jesus again appears to his disciples that they're they're bewildered, not understanding what has happened. 
And Jesus comes along these two people, they don't recognise him at first, and he begins to explain, and yeah, a little bit of chastisement for them, you foolish people, you don't understand, you don't understand the scriptures, you haven't seen it, you haven't understood it. And Luke's purpose in including this story is not simply to record a resurrection appearance, though that is partly what's happening, but to help his readers and that's us know that all that has happened to Jesus over the last few days was predicted and it was necessary. He says, did not the Christ have to suffer these things in verse 26? It was all necessary for us and for them because Jesus had to die so that we could be forgiven. And so there's three things I want to say. And the, the first is that the story of the Bible is a story of Jesus. The whole of the Bible basically is about Jesus. Now, okay, the Old Testament, the parts that Jesus obviously had and opened up to these uh, people on the way to Emmaus, that's the Old Testament. And uh, Jesus opens it up. And it doesn't mention Jesus. Of course the Old Testament doesn't mention the name Jesus. But it talks about the suffering that the Messiah is going to have to go through. and All that's going to happen. And the Old Testament is simply a foreshadowing of what was going to happen. And much of Hebrews is about this. The whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament was simply waiting until Jesus came and offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9 verse 14 says, If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behaviour, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. So the story of the Bible is essentially the story of Jesus. And Jesus comes alongside these disciples in their bewilderment and confusion and shows them passages from the Old Testament that speak about his suffering and his resurrection. Now, it would have been great if we knew exactly what passages Jesus opened up to them and what passages in the Old Testament Jesus used. But I'm sure they included three of these passages that are on the notes. Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel immediately after the fall, after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit of the tree and God comes to them and he says, I'm going to cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring, that's Jesus, and her, uh, uh, and her offspring. He will strike your head, you will strike his heel. It's predicting what's going to happen. Then Psalm 22 verse 1, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? We know that's what Jesus cries from the cross. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? And then, of course, Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Those are just three passages. There are many more. And I've included three others on your notes. And, well, I could have written a whole page on A4 of the passages that possibly Jesus used and opened up to these two disciples. But the problem is that these two people missed at first the joy of that day and the salvation it brought because they had failed to pay attention and to believe the word of prophecy that had come in the Old Testament. They, don't, didn't, they missed the joy. Instead of going, "Way, well, yes, it's happened. It's, as it ha- was predicted in the Old Testament, Jesus is alive. They couldn't understand it. 
And they, like the Pharisees and all the Jews, thought that the Messiah was going to come, throw the Romans out, establish a new kingdom, one that was as great as when Jesus' famous ancestor David was alive. That's in verse 21. That's what they were expecting. They weren't expecting because they didn't understand the scriptures. But the point is that as Christians in this day and age, we mustn't neglect to look at the whole of God's word. It's so easy really to get caught up with just the New Testament. That's the part that perhaps seems a bit more interesting. We can look at the bits we like But there are hard bits, bits in the Old Testament that are actually difficult to understand. Let's not kid ourselves. What is it all about? There are some, may I say this word, boring bits in the Old Testament. You ever read the genealogies that are there? And really got, you know, thought, hey, that's great, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, it's hard. What's it there for? And then you have got the sacrificial system, Leviticus, where you read about the sacrifices and the detail about the temple in other places. And you think, what's that all about? But we need to see, to read them, to study them, to look at them and to understand these because, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all scripture is God-breathed. And Paul, who's writing that, remember, he actually only has the Old Testament. He is talking, when he says all scripture is God-breathed, he's talking about what we know as the Old Testament. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God can be equipped for good works. We need to read God's word. However, the story can only be understood by revelation. What am I saying here? It means that simply reading it or even studying it is not enough. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders knew their Old Testament. They knew it backwards. They would know it better than you and I do. They knew it. And yet they missed what was actually written about the Messiah. Jesus said while talking to them, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. That's in John 5 verse 39. What people needed was Jesus to come alongside them as he did on the road to Emmaus and explain what it is all about. And as these two people said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked? And that's what we need when we look at God's word to really have the Spirit of Jesus explaining and understanding so that it comes alive and our hearts burn within us. Jesus needed to come alongside us and open the Scriptures and reveal to them what the Old Testament really said about him. And we we could look at uh, the, the, the Scriptures that talk about his death, but think about the birth of Jesus. If you read the Old Testament, it talks about Bethlehem, it talks about uh, the virgin birth, etc., etc. But no one found their way to the baby Jesus without direct revelation from God's Spirit. Mary, she knew what was going to happen because the angel Gabriel came to her. Joseph knew what was going to happen because he had a dream. And so on and so forth. We cannot understand except by revelation. Reading it, studying it is not enough. There are great theologians who miss the point about Jesus even today. And they would know their New Testament, Old Testament 
better than I would. And yet they miss the point of scripture which is about Jesus. And it needs the Holy Spirit to come alongside. The knowledge of the Bible is an insufficient guide to Jesus. The Old Testament prophesies about it, but you can miss it unless it comes by revelation, unless your eyes are opened by God's Spirit. And it is only when we see how all the scriptures are centred in Christ, who is the revelation of the God who is three in one, that in the Old Testament everything points forward to him, and in the New Testament everything proceeds from him. When we understand that, we will understand the Bible and be able to worship the God who's there. And we need to pray. Every time we read the Bible, every time we open the Bible, we need to ask God to open our eyes by his Spirit. Just as the eyes of these two people, their eyes were opened. Suddenly, all they saw, it's Jesus. It's about Jesus. That's what they got. Otherwise, it becomes just an academic exercise. And we miss what God is saying. Just as the Jewish leaders did, and in fact many people in our universities, miss the point about the Bible. It isn't an academic book. It's a book about Jesus. And it's a book that we can only understand if God comes alongside us and explains it to us. And if we want to get to grips with the Bible and understand it, we need God's Spirit. Only he can help us to understand what the Bible really says. Remember, Jesus is the truth. And so he will lead us into all truth. And John 16, 13 says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And that's what we need. We need to ask God's Spirit to open our eyes to understand what the Bible is saying. And then finally, we must tell the story, and we must tell our story. You see the two disciples, they get up immediately and went back to Jerusalem. They'd just come from Jerusalem. Seven miles. And it was getting late, they'd eaten. It was going to get dark at least sometime before they get back to Jerusalem. That could make it quite dangerous. There could be bandits and thieves on the road. And possibly the likelihood of attack was quite high, but they didn't care. They had met Jesus and he explained everything to them. They had an understanding of what was going on now and they wanted to explain and tell the rest of the disciples. They were so excited by what they had seen and heard that nothing was going to stop them telling their story as soon as possible. And you and I, we have a story to tell what we have seen and heard. In 1 John it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And this is what the first disciples and followers of Jesus did. They simply told what they had seen and heard. And you and I, if we know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, have a story to tell. What we have seen and heard. What God has done for us. And we need to tell it. The question for all of us is, are we excited but why, by what we have seen and heard? By what God has done in our lives? Does our story excite us that we would travel seven miles, we would walk seven miles to tell somebody? Would you do that? Would I do that? These disciples, they almost ran back to Jerusalem to tell their story. But it's more than simply telling our story. It's about proclaiming the truth. When 
Jesus appears to the disciples in the passage following this from verse 36 to 48. And he comes and he stands among them and he begins again to tell them what was written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. And he says, you're going to go, you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to tell people the truth. You're going to speak about the death and resurrection of Jesus and that the past can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And we have the passages in Matthew, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And in Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have been commanded not only to tell our story, what God has done to us, but to proclaim that Jesus died and rose again so that our sins can be forgiven and we can have a restored relationship with God. We truly have a story to tell. We truly have good news to proclaim in a world that sorely needs to hear the good news. Why would we keep it to ourselves? And I appeal to people here today. There is good news in Jesus. He died and he rose again. He died that we might know forgiveness of sins and have a restored relationship with him. And he is alive today. We are witnesses of that fact. And if you haven't responded to the good news, God is appealing to you today. I'm appealing to you today. Respond. Say to Jesus, thank you for dying for me that I might know forgiveness of sins and be restored to relationship with yourself. I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. Please forgive me. You know, it's as simple as that. And then the Spirit of Jesus comes along, comes inside you, and you know that Jesus is alive. But probably for many of us here, the problem is not that we haven't got a story to tell or don't believe the good news. It is that we are fearful and think that people don't want to hear our story and don't want to hear the good news. And we need to ask Jesus to really excite us again with the fantastic news that we have. So we don't actually care what people think or what they might even do to us. But we are there. We will proclaim the good news. We will tell our story because we are so excited by what God has done for us. The two people in this story could have been attacked and killed, but they went anyway. Will you? Will I? Will we proclaim the good news? Will we tell our story? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you died for us. And that is such good news that because of what you have done, we are forgiven. Thank you that you love each one of us so much that you died for us, but thank you that you are alive and we have a story to tell. Help us to be able to tell that story, to proclaim the good news, whatever it costs. In Jesus' name. Amen.